0: Welcome to Moonshot, I'm Christopher Lawson, and as we've previously discussed on the show, the global population is expected to reach more than 9 billion people by 2050. Which means we need to dramatically improve our food production so that we can meet the increased demand. But when we think about making our food sustainable, often it's easy to gravitate towards the people who are reinventing what we think about as food. We looked at people who are 3D printing our foods, and those who were coming up with plant-based alternatives to meat. But the one thing we haven't really explored is the way we actually grow and farm our foods. Because there's no point making a plant-based burger if you can't actually get the plants. And it turns out there's a bunch of interesting players in this space. And today we're going to focus on just one of them, Square Roots. Square Roots is an
1: attempt really to bring real food, locally grown food, food that you can trust to literally every single person on the planet. If we sort of fast forward to 2050, um, there'll be about 10 billion people on the planet up from seven or so today. And what's really interesting is about 70% of them will live in urban areas. It's kind of very well known that locally grown food is just better for people. It's certainly better for the planet. And uh, you know what we want to do is bring locally grown food to those billions of people that live in the cities. And so the way that we do that is we build um, urban farms, farms in the cities, farms in the same zip code as the consumer and we build indoor controlled climate urban farms. And what that does is allow us to grow this really incredible food literally all year round, right next to the people that are gonna eat it. So my name is Tobias Peggs, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Square Roots. The real magic in the system are the farmers. Uh, We very much believe that the consumer doesn't just want the food, they actually want a connection with the, the people that grow the food. And so, you know, unlike some other urban farming companies that maybe are focused more on robotics and automation and trying to get the the sort of farmer out of the system, we very much believe that the farmer is central to the system. Uh, We are technologists and we built what we call a farmer first technology platform that really surrounds that farmer with all the tools and data and insights that they need to grow as much food as possible using the fewest resources possible and then get that out into the local community and give everyone the ability to eat this really tasty, healthy and nutritious locally grown food.
0: Tobias founded Square Roots in 2016 along with his business partner Kimball Musk. And yes, before you all start sending me emails asking questions, Kimball is the brother of Elon Musk. Now, Square Roots is based in Brooklyn, which is obviously an urban area, and they're really getting in on the urban farming revolution by focusing on vertical farms, which they're housing in repurposed shipping containers. The advantage of these systems is that they're very modular, they're easy to move and install, and they can get a significant amount of yield for the size of land that they sit on.
1: When you think about farming in the city, you've really got to think about how you use resources in a different way, right? We have a 20 acre farm here at square roots in the middle of new york and and there's no way anybody is going to give me 20 acres of real estate in new york to build that farm right and so we have to think about uh, a smart way to do it and vertical farming allows you to be very smart uh, using space right so if you imagine taking an outdoor field and then turning that on its end and hanging that field off the ceiling inside a, a, you know, a building and then racking that field back to back to back, what you're now doing is growing food in three dimensions instead of two dimensions. And so you're able to get a lot more food out of the same size uh, footprint. So specifically for Square Roots, we build our farms inside um, refurbished shipping containers. You know, 12 months ago, they might have been shipping bananas from South America to China or something. We use those containers and then we um, you know, use a whole bunch of technologies around vertical growing towers and climate control systems. And there's a ton of sensors in there that are tracking all the environmental data and there's AI running in the background. But the bottom line is we're now able to grow food in, in 3D instead of 2D. So in a you know, typical 40-foot shipping container, which is 320 square feet footprint, you're able to get on an annual yield basis about the same amount of food as you would do from a two-acre outdoor farm. And so, you know, we have a 20-acre farm here in Brooklyn, but it's actually housed inside 10 shipping containers that literally are placed on a disused parking lot in Brooklyn you know, existing sort of city infrastructure that's being underutilised, you can kind of back in these shipping containers that are basically like a farm in a box and start growing food next to the people that are eventually going to eat it.
0: Now, growing food in a climate-controlled box sounds like a really great idea. But the real question many of you are probably wondering is what foods can actually be grown in these conditions?
1: When you think about indoor farming today, um, a lot of the food that's grown is leafy greens and herbs. And there's a reason for that. It's not so much the capability, right? You're capable in these systems of growing pretty much anything. It's actually more about economics, right? Because these systems that use artificial lighting, um, that require climate control, um, you know, they're essentially requiring energy, right? And, you know, when you're growing a plant, basically the more biomass that the plant, um, you know, is creating, right? The heavier the vegetable, if you want to put it in plain English, the more energy it takes, right? And so the more expensive the production of that plant is. So if you think about leafy greens, you know, lettuce, kale, arugula, there's not too much biomass that you're creating there. And so it doesn't need that much energy, And you can get a product to market today at a very competitive price with field farmers and sort of other production systems. As you go down the you know the scale and try to create more biomass, fruits and roots, right? Strawberries, blueberries, tomatoes, those things, you know, more biomass requires more energy. You know, today they might be slightly too expensive to get to market. The 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 good news though with these indoor farming systems is that You know, unlike a field farmer, you know, a field farmer can't suddenly look at the sun and say, hey, sun, can you be twice as efficient tomorrow? Because I want to grow twice as much food for the same cost. Whereas in these indoor systems, of course, you know, we're technologists, right? And so we can make the lighting system twice as efficient over time. And, you know, eventually, and we're probably talking, you know, like six to 18 months to get, um sort of blueberries, strawberries, tomatoes to market at a competitive price. And then, you know, maybe another 18 months beyond that when we start to see sort of roots, you know, beetroots, carrots, all these things get to market at a competitive price. But we're growing all of those things in our R&D farms right now, and they are absolutely delicious. And then as we keep working on the technology, especially the lighting technology to bring that cost down, you'll start to see them get to market very, very rapidly.
0: Now, Square Roots is hardly the only company playing in this urban farming space. There's a lot of companies building farms in a box or farms which contain layers of plants and are housed in warehouses. And the potential of all these ideas is very clear to investors. Square Roots has raised 5.4 million US dollars to make this idea a reality. But what makes the Square Roots model different from many of the others, is the focus on the farmer. Each Square Roots farm is managed by an individual farmer, who is trained to take ownership of the farm and look after the crops. And what's interesting is that when you look at the profiles of all these farmers, they look very different from what your traditional idea of a farmer might be. They're very young and many come from other industries. So what does it actually take to become a Square Roots farmer?
1: So in the US, the average age of a American farmer is 58 years old. Right, There's a whole generation of farmers right now that are basically feeding the nation um, that are about to retire. And the next generation is not wanting to work on those farms, right? What they want to do is live in the city, right? And be, you know, hipsters in Brooklyn. And um, there's actually a massive sort of demographic problem that the country will be facing is that there's just no one there ready to take over these big industrial farms in the middle of the country. You know, we sort of realized that, you know, with growing population and people wanting more local food and and that growing population being sort of urban dwellers, we we had to figure out urban farming. And they just, aren't, you know, people that have been trained in, in this in this field, right? And so that, that was part of the reason we set up the, the you know, we, we call it the Farmer Entrepreneurship Program at Square Roots is that, you know, we sort of realized that, okay, well, by 2050, we're going to need millions of people who understand what urban farming is across the world. And there are not millions of people there today who understand this, right? So we've got to start to jump in really quickly and start to train people um, how to figure this out. And, you know, the best way to train someone is to, you know, give them a farm and let them get on with it, right? And they'll sort of figure it out and make mistakes and figure out the right way to do it. And of course, we have expert farmers on our team that are helping them uh, sort of every day through, through that process. But there's nothing like spending 12 months, you know, getting your hands dirty in one of these systems to learn how to do it. And of course, what I should say is, these people are not really getting their hands dirty because we're using a hydroponic system. So there's, there's no soil in the farm, but you, you, you get the point.
0: How is what you're doing uh, sort of like changing people's perception in the community about food? And what impact are you seeing from the farm on the community around where you are?
1: Yeah, it's a really good point, actually. When we started the company, right, we sort of grappled with this quite a bit. You know, people have got this very kind of sepia-tinged romantic notion of what a farmer is, you know, in the field, chewing a you know stick of wheat or whatever it is. And uh, we're like, okay, well, we've got, you know, 100 kilowatt hours of electricity flashing, these pink lights, you know, at plants in a steel box in a parking lot in Brooklyn. Like, it's a different type of farm. And, you know, how how are people going to react to that? And, And, you know, we sort of zeroed in on this idea that, or this realization that really people have really lost trust in the industrial food system, right? The the issues, again, certainly in America, whether that's diabetes or obesity or pollution or climate change, like you can draw very direct lines to all of those issues to the industrial food system. And you know, consumers en masse are turning against that and they want something else, right? What they want is food that they can trust. They want to know where it's come from. And so, what we decided to do at Square Roots was really own that. Right? How can we bring transparency into the total uh, supply chain? So we built our farms with huge windows on the end. So literally, anyone walking by in the neighborhood can look in and see what's going on and see the farmers working. And then we host sort of open house farm tours every other week at the farm. We probably have you know get maybe two or three thousand people a month come through the farm just to hear what's going on and you know, talk to the farmers and taste the food. And and so by taking that approach of, okay, we're going to own transparency. We're literally going to show everyone what's going on 24 hours a day. And, you know, we try to get as many people to the farm as possible to taste the food. And then once they tasted the food and they, you know, more to the point, tasted food that was harvested, you know, maybe an hour ago from a farmer that they're having a conversation with, and it's food that they can trust and it tastes delicious because it's so fresh, people's minds are blown, you know, and then, um, you know, and that's that, That's essentially how we're sort of marketing and building the business, right? Getting as many people to the farm as possible.
0: And we'll have more of our interview with Square Roots co-founder and CEO Tobias Peggs right after this break. Welcome back to Moonshot, I'm Christopher Lawson, and before the break we were speaking with Square Roots co-founder and CEO Tobias Peggs about how the company is changing our perception of what a farmer is. And we know that vertical farms can produce a lot more yield than traditional farms. But when you think about what's involved in any type of urban farm, you've got the time involved in planting and maintaining the crops. But you also have the cost of using artificial lighting and running systems to make sure that the air is at a constant temperature, and you have computer systems to constantly monitor the crops, and then you have the cost of land – In many cities, land is a really valuable resource. Even just a small amount of it can be incredibly expensive. So what are the costs like for actually making these farms happen?
1: Specifically on the real estate question, this is the one I'm actually really excited about. You know, real estate in the city is expensive and that is why we don't farm in two dimensions, we farm in three dimensions, right? So we're using way less space to get way more food. That still doesn't solve the whole problem, right? I'm still, you know, paying rent for my three dimensional farm. The sort of long term trajectory here is actually intertwined with autonomous vehicles, believe it or not. So if you, you know, fast forward 10 years and, you know, we've got fully, fully autonomous vehicles, you know, we now don't own cars. Right. We're just basically, you know, we have transport on demand from fleets of fully autonomous vehicles and econ- you know, economics being what they are. That means those vehicles will be fully utilized, um, you know, running around 24 hours a day, just shuttling people from one place to the other. Essentially, what that means, then, is the car never needs to stop. And, you know, in America, 25 percent of urban build out is parking spaces to house cars that stop. And so, you know, in the, on the very near horizon, you are going to have all of this existing um, infrastructure in the city that will need a new purpose. You know, there literally will be no need for a parking lot anymore. Um, you know, what are you going to do with them, right? Well, what we're going to do with them is back in, you know, twenty, thirty shipping containers and turn it into a thirty or forty acre farm. And so, I'm actually very, very sort of optimistic there, right? That actually rather than um you know real estate costs being an issue that prevents the spread of urban farming i'm actually seeing other macro factors happening that will free up a bunch of you know existing infrastructure that will need a new purpose and urban farming is perfect you know as a way to repurpose that existing infrastructure
0: i do imagine that you will come to this issue where You're sort of like fighting off property developers who want to turn those parking lots into huge skyscraper buildings.
1: Well, perhaps, but I've been having very interesting conversations with real estate developers of skyscraper buildings recently, right? Who, you know, especially folks building commercial, um, you know, property, they want to add, you know, additional services into their building to attract tenants. And you know the number of conversations I've had in the last month with people saying, "Hey, I'm building a 25-story tower block. Can I put a farm on level number seven? <laughs> you know, can you just like build me a farm in my block?" And then you know then you're then you're talking about hyperlocal food, right? Because then the people in that building can subscribe to a you know a CSA, a weekly delivery of food from their local farmer, and they can get in an elevator and go you know, up to floor seven and meet that farmer, right?
0: Mm, can't get much fresher than that.
1: <laughs> exactly. I mean, listen, I, I, I might sound kind of like, you know, naive, utopian, but uh, I, the, and of course, it's going to be way more problematic than, I'm, than the picture that I'm painting. But again, I'm so encouraged by the huge numbers of very creative conversations that I'm having with real estate developers who really appreciate that the consumer wants locally grown food, and they can be part of the solution to bring that to the consumer.
0: Now, I wanted to just ask about you and your background. You don't seem like you've come from the background where someone would say, oh, this person's going to become a farmer. <laughs> <laughs> How did you come to be uh, the person that is uh, that is driving this urban farming revolution?
1: Oh, well, first, I wouldn't say I am the person who's driving the revolution. I'm certainly one of many, many very smart people that, that are doing this. So yeah, I have a phD. in artificial intelligence, right? So yeah, not the most natural pathway to become a farmer. What happened to me is I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm an athlete, a pretty competitive triathlete, so I've always sort of been pretty careful about nutrition um, and sort of appreciated that local food you know, was, was the best way to do that, right? when food travels. Um, and it takes time to travel during that time. The nutrients are breaking down into sugars. Food that travels is basically not as good for you as, as local food. So I was always sort of looking for local food. Anyway, one of my previous tech companies was acquired by a very, very big global retailer that I went to work for for a while. And I ended up running mobile commerce inside that retail place for international markets. It sounds very fancy, but basically I had worked with a team that was building mobile shopping apps. Or people in China and Brazil and the UK and Canada, and basically was, you know, watching hundreds of millions of people a week adding food to their shopping basket that was just not grown in the area that they were living, right? People in the UK adding bananas to their shopping list, for example. And I just got really curious and started thinking, well, okay, where's that food being shipped from, right? And where's that food being grown? And, you know, as a data scientist, I was kind of processing this. And basically, I sat on top of a data set of the industrial food system. I was just watching food flying all over the world. And I thought, this is crazy because, you know, not only are the nutrients breaking down and the food's kind of, you know, essentially banned for people when it arrives, but the impact on the planet from all this transport is ridiculous. And so that kind of started me on the path of, okay, let's figure out a solution here. And then when I sort of found, you know, indoor controlled climate urban farming and, you know, sort of fell in love with that model and the community aspect of that model and also realized I could apply, you know, my AI background to that and really understand how to kind of fine tune climates to grow better food. But the, the, the whole thing just made a ton of sense. And I just knew at that point that I was going to spend my next decade trying to, you know, figure this out and, and, and basically bring local food to people in cities.
0: What are you sort of hoping will happen in the next five years or so? What will change in terms of the foods that you can grow? What do you think will change in the way that cities adopt urban farming?
1: My co-founder, Kimball Musk, and I, we, we have a saying, which is, imagine the next 50 years, plan for the next six months. Anything in between is kind of irrelevant. Because <laughs> in, in startup, plan, like you, you've got the big picture, right? The moonshot. And uh, you know, it like let's let's get on with it. The path that we're painting now to get there is the only thing I know about it is it's not the one that we're going to end up being on. But to try and answer your question, you know what what we're planning for Square Roots is we've got the our first farm, our first campus, as we call it, farms, um, up and running here in Brooklyn, and we've been through one complete program where we've trained farmers and sort of proved that we can do that. And you know the food's being sold all around New York and people love it. And that's great. So what what we now do is hit the replicate button, basically. So we're now on a pathway to build these urban farming campuses in literally every single city in America. You know, the first sort of five or six, um, we understand where they're going and they'll start to appear early next year, which is really exciting. And, you know, beyond that then, we need to think about international, right? And, you know, really what we want to be is this, local food company where you know your local farmer who's growing food that's tasty and that you can trust but we want to be operating that at a global scale right and so along the way there you know there's a parallel technology path right where we're improving lighting efficiency and working with you know AI to um, you know give farmers better insights on climate so that we can grow not just more food but more varieties of food um, you know not just leafy greens, but fruits and roots and other things, and you know get them to market at really, really competitive prices and then you know I think that the other thing that's going to happen here if we're looking at over the next kind of twenty or fifty years is um, you know I talked previously about how we think about repurposing existing infrastructure in the in the city right what other macro trends are happening like automated vehicles that will free up existing infrastructure like car parks that suddenly need a a new purpose, right? And so how can we start to think about, um, you know, working with the city planners and working with real estate developers and really integrating this idea of urban farming, like weaving it into the fabric of the city, you know, and who knows what shape that's going to take. But it sounds very, very exciting. And um, I just can't wait to get on with it.
0: Thanks for listening to Moonshot. If you love what we're doing, then make sure you subscribe to the show on whichever podcasting app you love to use. And make sure you share it with your friends. It's really the best way of helping us build our audience and keep the show going. Moonshot is a production of Lawson Media. It's hosted by me, Christopher Lawson, and also Andrew Moon. Andrew Millist designed our amazing cover artwork and Breakmaster Cylinder composed our theme track. And if you've got an idea that you'd love us to cover on the show, send us an email to moonshot at lawson.media. Join us again next time on Moonshot as we explore more ideas that are changing our future.